morning, everyone. Glad you can join us. We miss you guys, but at least we can join together like this. I just wanted to get right into it. Um, last week, Resurrection Sunday, I talked about three promises that God gives us. And I want to focus on one of those promises right now in light of what we're going through. So the three promises were, uh, first, in John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So we do not have to live in fear with the coronavirus and what's going on, because no one and nothing, not this virus, anything, can snatch us out of his hand. So we will not go before our time. We have that blessed assurance of that. And the second promise, finding 1 Peter 1.4, says we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. That even if it is our time, all we go to is our priceless inheritance kept for you, that he's been preparing for you in his great love for you. And that's what last week was all about. Even if you were the only person on earth, he would have come and suffered and died for you. And it's kept in heaven where it's pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay as this world and our bodies are in decay. But that won't happen there. And that's our, our glorious inheritance. And the third promise, one I'll focus on today, we find in Romans 8.28, one of my favorite scriptures. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And uh, I need to say that usually we focus on the first part, that God causes everything to work together for good. But there is an if, and that is for those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Because God gave us that free choice and free will, um, not wanting us to be his slaves or his robots to make us do anything, but we can choose. And that's one of the reasons the world is in such a decay, because people have the free choice to choose not to follow God. And so we need to choose to go according to his purposes for us. And again, to love God, first we have to know that he loves us. Otherwise, this next scripture, it's very difficult to do. Another one of my favorites. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. And you see, we need, if we're going to trust in him with all our hearts and not depend on our own understanding, then we need to know that he loves us. And that's what last week was all about. Uh, what more can the almighty, all-powerful God do than lay down his life for you and suffer and die for you? That he already showed us his love so that we can 
trust Him. So we don't depend on our own understanding. But you see, it's just a natural sin nature in us that we trust in our own understanding, that we think we know the best. And like I say, if you really want to be honest, don't we all think we know the best way to do things better than other people, especially if there's a dispute? And we have this pride in us that we think that we know what's best even more than God, especially when he does things that are, quote, against to what we think is best or our own understanding. And we need to trust him that he loves us and he is way smarter than us. You know, we're little three-dimensional beings and again, our three-dimensional scientists now say we need nine to 15 dimensions for the universe to work the way it works. So what do we know? And he loves us and he directs our paths and his ways are always right and always work good in the end. His plans for us are good for a future and a hope. And so, can we do? Just trust him to do what he tells us to do. So, the week before last, I talked about how Jesus um, was in a crowd and a woman who had an issue of blood for many years pushed through the crowd and because she said, if I can just touch Jesus' robe, I will be healed. And she touched his robe and she was healed. And she wanted to just slink quietly away, but Jesus said, somebody touched me, who touched me. He felt the healing power go from him. And she knew she was caught, so she fell on her face before him in fear and trembling. And again, if we don't understand the culture of the time, why was she so afraid? Is because if you had an issue of blood, you were unclean. And you were to stay away from everybody. And say, I'm unclean, unclean, so they stay away from you. And here she pushed through the crowd, touching everyone, and then touching this famous teacher, making them all unclean. And we might think, wow, what a stupid thing. And this poor woman being unclean, what a mean God to say that she's unclean. Doesn't he accept all of us? You need to understand this came from the Levitical law, when Israel became a nation, they didn't have a king. God was their king. He was their government. And so he made laws for the whole people and the society as the government. And so this happened 2,000 years, uh, well, actually 3,500 years ago, the Le Levitical law was given on the other side of the world in a whole different culture and time. But we can still see, if we, we look at this, the wisdom of God for doing certain things that the people had no understanding of. And so let's look. It, it, this is all listed in um, Leviticus. But first, since we are in this pandemic time, let's look at a few things. In the mid-1400s, there was the bubonic plague. That's what's called the Black Death. And in four years, it killed between 30 to 60% of the European population, depending on whose statistics you take. It's huge, 30 to 60% in four years. But 
the Jewish community was not devastated by this plague. And so the, the other people, they thought that the Jews were cursing them. That's why this came upon us, because they weren't getting sick like we are. And so they must be cursing us, and they persecuted the Jews for that. But what the Jewish community was doing, because God had commanded them, they washed their hands before eating. And after using the bathroom. And they bathed at least once a week before the Sabbath. You have to understand, in, in Europe at this time, like King uh, Louis XIV of France, his physicians advised him to bathe as infrequently as possible to maintain good health. He is said to have only bathed twice in his life. And Queen Isabella I of Spain confessed that she had taken a bath only twice in her lifetime, when she was first born and when she got married. And this tradition in some pockets stayed until the mid-19th century. And in 1847, 3,300 years after Leviticus, a Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis in Vienna, he was a doctor in charge of a birthing hospital, and all these women were dying of what they called at that time labor fever. And it was one in six of these pregnant women about to give birth died of this labor fever, 18% of them. And they couldn't understand why and what was happening, but what they would do is uh, um, do the autopsies of the deceased mothers first in the morning. And this labor fever, there was a lot of pus you know, all around the organs and on the person. And then what they'd do is They'd rinse their hands and wash it with a dry, wipe it with a dry cloth, and then, then do their examination of all the women waiting to give birth. And one in six died. And he couldn't, he was thinking, why? What is this? Nobody could figure out why, and he thought it might have something to do with there's something that we can't see that is being passed on to these women. So he asked his students, and he started, they started washing their hands in chlorinated water. And the death rate dropped from 18% to 1%. And um, what happened, though, is, is that the other doctors, as he shared this breakthrough, the other doctors and administrators of the hospital thought he was crazy. It's ridiculous. There's nothing there. And the students were complaining because why all this washing? It's such a waste of time, washing, 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 and my hands are getting chapped, and it, hands smell like chlorine, and they made a big uproar, and um, he was fired from the hospital. They went back to their old ways, and in fact, he kept on talking about it, and he was committed to a mental hospital, and he died there. It was many, many years later that people took on what he said because there was something that they couldn't see or understand. But 3,300 years before that, God had set things for Israel to do that they couldn't understand, but he loved them, and he was the government. 
And again, in Leviticus, uh, chapters 11 through 15, God sets apart what were unclean animals that they weren't supposed to eat. Some of these unclean animals were vultures that eat dead things that might have died from disease. And of course, you have bacteria and other things on that. Um, bats, that uh, some evidence shows that this coronavirus may have come from people eating bats. Pigs, because at that time, they would eat whatever was around, not like today where they, they feed them um, well. Uh, lizards, which now they know carry many diseases. And rats, they were not to eat. And um, I'll read to you a little bit about it. And what it says in Leviticus 11:31, if any of you touch the dead body of such an animal, you will be defiled until evening. If such an animal dies and falls on something, that object will be unclean. This is true whether the object is made of wood, cloth, leather, or burlap. Whatever its use, you must dip it in water, and it will remain defiled until evening. So this is during the day. You, you dip it in water, you put it out in the sun, and the UV light takes care now we know of. In fact, uh, just recently they were saying it seems like the coronavirus is susceptible to UV light. And so you wash it, you, you put it out in the sun to dry, and it will be ceremonially unclean until evening. And after that, it will be ceremonially clean and may be used again. The Israelites at that time must have been thinking, why all this ridiculous ceremony? If such an animal falls into a clay pot, everything in the pot will be defiled and the pot must be smashed. I can imagine the, the Israelites of that time complaining. You know how long that took to make, to gather the clay and, you know, shape it, fire it, make this pot, and it's my favorite pot, and I got to smash it? I could imagine the complaining. And if water, but we know clay will absorb. And if water from such a container spills on any food, the food will be defiled. What? I just hunted. I just got this food. I just spent all day gathering it. And, but it will be defiled, and any beverage in such a container will be defiled. That's my favorite wine. You know how long it took to grow the grapes, and now turning into wine, and wait, I can hear the complaining of all this stupid ceremony. If, it is an, uh, if any object on which the carcass of such an animal falls will be defiled. If it is an oven or a hearth, it must be destroyed, for it is defiled, and you must treat it accordingly. What? My oven? I got to destroy it? What stupid ceremonies? You know, God just said it's ceremonially unclean instead of saying, you know, there's, there's little bugs, there's germs you can't see. In fact, the coronavirus you can't see unless you have an electron microscope. And uh, he gave other laws to follow. 
if there were skin diseases, like you had boils or sores or pus or discoloration or rashes spreading over your body, which at that time could be STDs, uh, leprosy, um, bodily discharges. If you had unusual bodily discharges, pus or phlegm, or, um, it, it could be STDs again or leprosy or TB. And what God says to do with some of these things. And in uh, chapter 15, God says, Any man who has a bodily discharge is ceremonially unclean. In other words, you say, unclean, unclean, you got to stay six feet away. Does that sound familiar? Stay away from me. He is ceremonially unclean. You can't go near him. This defilement is caused by his discharge, whether the discharge continues or stops. In either case, the man is unclean. Any bed on which the man with the discharge lies and anything on which he sits will be ceremonially unclean. That's so stupid. So if you touch the man's bed, you must wash your clothes. They didn't have clothes dryers. You wash your clothes, you put it out in the sun to dry, and the UV light. And bathe yourself in water. And you go out in the sun to dry. And you will remain unclean until evening. What a hassle. A stupid ceremony. If you sit where the man with the discharge has sat, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. Just sitting? If you touch the man with the discharge, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. What a hassle. I can hear the complaining of the people. These weird, stupid ceremonies. But we have a different understanding now, don't we? If the man spits on you or coughs on you, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and dry yourself and the clothes out in the sun, and you will remain unclean until evening. Any saddle blanket on which the man rides will be ceremonially unclean. If you touch anything that was under the man, you will be unclean until evening. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man touches you without first rinsing his hands, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. Boy, what ridiculous ceremonies. Any clay pot the man touches must be broken. Oh, all the expense and time. And any wooden utensil he touches must be rinsed with water and dried. Again, dried in the sun. When the man with the discharge is healed, he must count off seven days for the period of purification. Then he must wash his clothes and bathe himself in fresh water, and he will be ceremonially clean. Seven days without any symptoms. Does that sound familiar again? And if he has symptoms, he has to go again, seven days. And there are things in these ceremonies that we still do not understand why God said to do them. But there are some that, you know, we're starting to, to find out. Like they were part of some of these ceremonies. Um, 
you know, there were ceremonies also for uh, cleaning cl uh, clothes. Like if somebody had a discharge or um, sores or rash on their skin, if, it, if the clothes started changing color and taking on some of the coloration or things of the rash, the clothes were to be washed and dried in the sun, and the priest would check it. And if it was gone, it's clean. If it stopped, you got to cut out that piece, and then you can use the rest. Imagine, a, a, you know, like a, a wineskin, how much time it takes to hunt and kill the animal and skin it, and then make the, and then you're going to cut out a piece? I can imagine the complaining. And if it keeps on spreading, you've got to burn it. And same thing for a house. If, these, if mildew is, keeps on spreading and you scrape it and you clean it, and you have to burn the whole house. Again, what complaining there probably was about these things. And some of the ceremonies where you have to sprinkle the person with, when they're to make them clean with water and hyssop. And hyssop, now they found, is a disinfectant. It has a disinfectant thymol, which you find in Listerine. Kills bacteria. And uh, you have to wash your skin with uh, cedar oil, which is an irritant. So you want to scrub it all off. And the soap had wool fibers, which makes it like pumice soap, so you scrub really well. And so you have all of these, these things that, okay, wouldn't have made any sense to these people at all. And, but God in his wisdom and his love tells us to do things. And we don't take it seriously a lot of times because we think we're smarter than that. That, that doesn't make sense. And even though we're in a whole other part of the world, in a new time, in a new culture, New society, <clears throat> God is no longer the government, and we have a new covenant. We can still see God's wisdom in these things. Some of the things God said that just recently came to light is that the sins of the parents are passed on to the children to the third and fourth generation. And scientists thought that was crazy. Now they're finding with the study of epigenetics go and look it up just recently, that things can be passed down in the DNA, including things like depression, anger, insecurity, abusive behavior. These things are passed down, and, and God said that 3,500 years ago. And there's things he asks us to do now that sometimes we take lightly. Like he says that we need to forgive one another. And I, I, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, or I don't feel like it, or I don't want to. And we take it lightly. Don't stay in anger. Don't curse people. Don't gossip, which is actually cursing. And now we're just starting to find out that 
you know, it's disputed right now, but it matches the word of God that some scientists and studies are showing that when we, our words and our thoughts actually affect the water, that water will clump in different ways depending on blessings or cursings. And we're mostly water. So if we don't forgive, it actually can harm that person and harm us because we're unforgiving. That's why he says, I'm your avenger. Let me handle it. Forgive. Holding on to anger. Cursing or, or gossip that we know now. And also God says, don't worry. And fear, I don't give you that fear. Realize that I take care of you. And that's just of the, the tip of the iceberg, that we know that some of these things, like anger and unforgiveness, can cause ulcers and um, worry, fear, anger, unforgiveness, cursing or for gossiping. We have this attitude and heart, bitterness. It depresses our immune system. And this is just the type, tip of the iceberg. But if we will take God seriously because he loves us and he knows what's best for us, someday we'll find out. But this is a good time to just trust him and follow him because he loves us. And now we have the time to just look at these things and get our life in alignment with him. And the more it's in alignment with him, the more we're on his straight path to his promises for us and his purposes for our lives. Now, again, we're not going to be perfect with it. And we will go off course. But the sooner we spend that time to realize we're off course from his word and what it says, and we put ourselves on course, the faster we'll get to his promises and purposes for our lives. The more we stay on course. Again, um, I love the, how the Hawaiian Bible calls sin, calls it heva or crooked, crooked from his paths for us. And this time we can build our relationship with him. And I'll be talking more about that next week. Because as we build our relationship with him, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so we can know his path for us, because he put his spirit in us. And so now we can have that personal relationship, and um, he can guide us and show us which way to go. As we build that relationship, and of course, with on the foundation of the scriptures on his um, nature of who he is. So as the worship team comes up, let's pray. Father, I just ask for your help for us to trust in you that you're smarter and you know better than us. You know better than us what to do. You know better than us how to do it. So help us to not be proud and to trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.